Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, today, as we dive into Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to begin by playing a game. Now, this is a much simpler game than the slip and slide kickball that our adults and students played last night. All you have to do to play, th- play this game is raise your hand, okay? And we're going to play a game called Would You Rather. Now, if you've never played Would You Rather, this is a game our students like to play. They play it a lot at camp. The boys that have ridden with me to and from camp the last couple of years really enjoy playing this game. It's a very simple game. Someone says, would you rather, and then they present two scenarios, scenario A and scenario B, and you have to choose one. There is no scenario C. And normally, when you play this game, you're choosing between two bad scenarios. Like an an example would be, would you rather eat a pizza made out of moldy cheese or eat a fish sandwich that's been sitting outside for a day? That's normally how you play would you rather. We're not going to play it that way today. Instead, we're going to play would you rather and we're going to choose between something that's old and something that's new. So would you rather have the old thing? Or would you rather have the new thing? We'll start off with an easy one. Would you rather pay old gas prices or would you rather pay the new current gas prices? How many of you, by raising your hand, would say, I would rather pay the old gas prices? Would anyone rather pay the new ones? I didn't think so. All right, this next one is for our students. Would you rather have an old Sega Genesis, which is the first video game system that I ever had as a kid, or would you rather have a new Xbox? How many of you would choose the old Sega Genesis? I see a couple of hands. How many would say, I would rather have the new Xbox? Yeah, I know every single one of our teenagers' hands are up right now. Here's another one. Would you rather have an old Heisman winning national champion quarterback from some crummy school in South Alabama (laughs) or would you rather have a new Heisman winning national champion quarterback from the greatest college football program ever? And we're not even going to vote on this one because the clear answer is Bryce Young. Roll Tide. And here is the last question. Would you rather live under the old covenant or the new covenant? Would you rather live under the old covenant or the new covenant? This year we are walking through the book of Hebrews. And in order for you to be able to really answer this question... We need to see what the difference in these two covenants are. Now, last week we were in Hebrews chapter 7. And in chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews showed us that Jesus is greater than any human high priest. He showed us that Jesus is now our high priest. He is greater than any human high priest. And because the priesthood has changed, the covenant must also change. 
And so now in chapter 8 of Hebrews, the writer shows us that in Christ, this new covenant is greater than the old one. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to compare the old covenant to the new covenant. We're going to see what the difference is. And as we do, we're going to see that the new covenant is greater because it is eternal and it brings greater blessings. The new covenant is greater than the old covenant because it is eternal and it brings greater blessings. The new covenant does what the old covenant could not. The new covenant brings us salvation and it never ends. Now the word covenant is a word that we don't use every day. We probably only use it in a church setting. And since I've probably already said it half a dozen times, and you're going to hear a lot more this morning, before we dive into Hebrews chapter 8, we need to define what a covenant is. Put simply, a covenant is an agreement between two or more people or parties. A covenant is an agreement between two or more people or parties. Let's read through Hebrews 8, and then we will walk through it together this morning, starting in verse 1. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle... See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So the author of Hebrews begins chapter 8 by summarizing chapter 7, by giving us the main point of what he's been saying in chapter 7. And that main point is that we now have a new high priest, and his name is Jesus. 
And our high priest is holy, he is blameless, he is pure, he is set apart. And now he is exalted. And our high priest is different from human high priest because Jesus does not have to make a sacrifice for his own sins. Because Jesus never sinned. He's also different from human high priest in that he does not have to sacrifice for us day after day and year after year. Because our high priest, Jesus, made one sacrifice that paid the price for all sin for all time. He sacrificed his life. And because of his resurrection, he is now seated and exalted in heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God our Father. And we see this if we go back into chapter 7, starting in verse 26. It says, Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So after recapping chapter 7, in verses 2 through 5, the author does something that we've seen him do already multiple times in Hebrews. And he foreshadows what he's going to talk about next. We saw last week in chapter 7, as the author taught us about the new priesthood, he mentioned this new covenant. Well, as he is talking about the new covenant in Hebrews chapter 8, he mentions a new tabernacle and a new sacrifice. And Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this new tabernacle and we're going to look at this new sacrifice. But in verse 6, the author turns his attention to the new covenant. And that's where we're going to focus the rest of our time this morning in verses 6 through 13. How is this new covenant different from the old covenant? How is it better than the old covenant? Let's find out together this morning. The old covenant was established at Mount Sinai. If we were to go back into the Old Testament, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and they cried out to God to be rescued, to be saved, to be liberated out of their slavery. And God sent Moses. And Moses led the people out of Egypt. And after the exodus, after they left Egypt, they went and they worshipped God. And at Mount Sinai, Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God. And God gave the law to Moses. And then Moses came down from the mountain and he gave God's law to the people. So this old covenant was established at Mount Sinai and it was mediated by Moses. Moses was the middleman. God spoke to Moses. God gave the law to Moses. Moses came down from the mountain and he gave God's law to the people. 
But Moses was not just a mediator between God and the people. Moses was also an intercessor for the people of Israel. Now, to intercede for someone, and this, this is going to be real important later when we look at the New Covenant, to intercede for someone means that you pray for them. So Moses prayed to God on behalf of the people of Israel. And we see this happen often. If you go back and you read the Old Testament, when the people disobeyed, the people rebelled, the people got tired of being patient and waiting upon the Lord, Moses would go to God and often he would pray to God on the people's behalf. So the covenant was mediated by Moses and Moses was the intercessor as well for the people. The old covenant was conditional And it came with blessings and curses. The old covenant was conditional in that God told the people of Israel when he gave them the law. He said, here is the law. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you obey my law and you obey my commands, you will be blessed. Things will go well with you. You will live and you will prosper in the land. But God said, if you disobey, And you turn away from my law and you turn away from my commands. You will be cursed and it will not go well with you. And you will go into exile and you will suffer. These blessings and curses are laid out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28 is 60 verses long. The first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28... In in the first 14 verses, we see the blessings that the people would receive for obeying the law. And I'm going to read just the first six to kind of give us a snapshot of these blessings. And here in Deuteronomy 28, Moses is speaking to the people. Moses is telling the people what God has told him. So Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 1, Moses is speaking to the people here, and it reads, If you fully obey the Lord your God... And carefully follow all his commands I gave you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. And the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. In the next 46 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see the curses that the people would endure if they chose to disobey God's law. And again, I want to give you just a snapshot of these curses, starting in verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, chapter 28. Moses is still speaking here. It reads, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land. And the calves of your herds and the lambs of your livestock, of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. 
The old covenant was also an external covenant. God wrote it down on stone tablets. On the mountain, God wrote the Ten Commandments on stone tablets and gave them to Moses. And Moses took them back to the people. The old covenant also only gave temporary forgiveness. The old covenant could not give permanent forgiveness for sins. So day after day, year after year, the people had to offer sacrifices for their sins. When they sinned, they had to offer a sacrifice. And lastly, we see that the old covenant passes away. God designed it this way. God designed the old covenant to pass away. In Hebrews 8.13, we read, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now, this morning, I want to give us a visual analogy of this old covenant. Right? Now, this is just an analogy, so it's not perfectly going to represent the old covenant and the relationship between God and the people of Israel. But TJ and Heath are going to come up and they're going to help me do this. TJ and Heath this morning are going to enter into a covenant with one another. They are going to make an agreement to hold on to this rope and lean back against it and let the tension of the rope hold their weight. So boys, go ahead and lean back. Don't let go. Don't lean up or the other one's going to fall on their face and we don't want that to happen. So TJ is representing God in this analogy and Heath is representing the people of Israel. And God said to the people of Israel, he gave them the law, he gave them the covenant, and he said, as long as you obey, you will be blessed, and things will go well with you. But the moment you disobey, things will not go well. And for a while, the people of Israel obeyed the law. But eventually, they chose to disobey. And the moment that they chose to disobey... It was as if they let go of the rope. Didn't quite work the way we practiced it earlier, but you get the idea. (laughs) You boys can have a seat. You can leave it. So here's the question. Does this mean the old covenant was a failure? Does this mean that the old covenant and the Old Testament is unreliable? Does this mean that God made a mistake when he made the old covenant? And the short answer in a word is no. You see, the old covenant, the Mosaic law, perfectly does what God designed it to do. The old covenant was never meant to bring salvation. It was never designed to bring salvation to the people of Israel. God designed the old covenant to show the people of Israel their sin and their need for a savior. The old covenant shined a spotlight on sin. It's kind of like a parent teaching a child right from wrong. 
Children don't naturally, on their own, know that it's wrong to lie or hit their siblings or steal until you tell them that's wrong. We don't do that. Paul helps us understand this in Romans chapter 7. Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So you see, the law perfectly does what God designed it to do. It shows us sin and it shows us our need for a Savior, but it cannot save us. In Hebrews 8, in verses 8 through 12, the author of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. In Jeremiah 31, when Jeremiah first prophesied these words, the people of Israel were already in exile. They had already disobeyed God's law. They were already enduring the curses that came from breaking God's law. But even in their exile, God was giving them hope. God was promising to bring them back to the promised land and to give them a new covenant. To give us a new covenant. You see, before creation, God knew that man could not fulfill a covenant that was based upon obedience to the law. God knew the people of Israel could not perfectly keep the law. God knew that you and I could not perfectly keep the law. So in His infinite wisdom and in His perfect grace, God gave us a new covenant. Based on mercy. Based on forgiveness. And this new covenant is altogether better and greater than the old covenant. And we see this from the very beginning of it. The new covenant was established at the cross. As Jesus shed his blood for the sins of humanity, the new covenant was established. In Luke chapter 22, a passage we read very often when we remember the Lord's Supper. On the last night of his life, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And after dinner, he took the bread and he broke it. And then Luke 22, 20 says, In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. The new covenant was established at the cross through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it is mediated by Jesus. This new covenant does not come to us from just some other man. It comes to us from the one who is 100% God and also 100% man who identified with our suffering, who was tempted as we are tempted, but who never sinned, and who died in our place to pay the price for our sins. And what's 
even greater than it being mediated through Jesus is that this same Jesus who mediates the new covenant for us now intercedes for us. This same Jesus, our Savior, who is now seated at the right hand of God, our Father, the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe, prays for you and for me. And so that we don't quickly rush past this, I want us to take 30 seconds of silence and just reflect on this truth. If you want to praise God silently where you are, now's the time to do that. But I'm going to give us 30 seconds just to stop and to pause and reflect on the truth that our Savior, right in this moment, is sitting at the right hand of our Creator God, praying for us. Jesus, we praise you this morning for your sacrifice that once and for all paid the price for our sins. We praise you this morning for the truth of your word that right now, as we worship you together, you are interceding on our behalf with our Father. This new covenant is unconditional. It's not based on our obedience. It's not based on what you and I do. I want you to notice in Hebrews 8 how many times God says, I will, in this promise of the new covenant. I'm going to read Hebrews 8, 8 through 12 for us. And I want you to see how many times God says, I will in his promise of the new covenant, starting in the middle of verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. At least five times in this passage, we see God say what he is going to do and what he has done in this new covenant. You see, this covenant is not based on you and I. The only part that we take in this is surrendering to Jesus. This new covenant is based completely on who God is and on the finished work of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. You see, God... Completely fulfilled this covenant himself. We required a perfect sacrifice. And God basically said, I got this. And he sent his son. God himself stepped down out of heaven. And because God required a perfect sinless sacrifice, God provided the sacrifice for God. And God made a covenant with himself. So that we 
could have salvation. So that we could be saved. This new covenant comes with blessings and a curse. The curse of this new covenant is only for those who reject Christ. It is only for those who choose to deny Christ and choose not to follow him. And for those who make that choice, the curse under this new covenant is eternal separation from God. It is forever being separated from God. But the blessings of this new covenant, just to mention a few, are salvation from our sins, forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation back to God the Father, the relationship that was separated when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. In this new covenant, God brings us back to himself. He gives us eternal life in this new covenant. He gives us mercy. He pours out his grace upon us day after day. And one of the greatest blessings in this new covenant is his Holy Spirit. Because you see, unlike the old covenant that was external, this new covenant is internal. God writes his word on the hearts and the minds of his people through his Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament. It was present during the Mosaic Law, but not the way that it's present today. The Holy Spirit did not live within the people of God under the Old Covenant. But today, when you put your faith in Jesus, the moment you surrender to Him and make Him your Lord, you are filled with God's Holy Spirit. And it is that same Spirit of God that writes the laws of God on our hearts and our minds. And we see this in chapter 10 or in verse 10 of Hebrews 8. It says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. This new covenant is also different than the old covenant in that it gives us permanent forgiveness. The forgiveness that this new covenant offers is permanent. We no longer have to make sacrifices. We don't sacrifice an animal every time we sin because Jesus sacrificed for us. The main difference, the biggest difference in these two covenants is how they deal with our sin problem, which is the greatest problem that humanity has ever had. Because our sin and God's holiness are not compatible. Our sin separates us from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were forever separated from God. And the old covenant could not bring them back into a permanent, lasting relationship with God. But the new covenant does. The new covenant fixes our sin problem. Because God forever reconciles us back to himself when we put our faith in Jesus. Our sin is forever dealt with when we surrender to Jesus. And it is never held against us. Hebrews eight twelve says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And the final difference in the old covenant and the new covenant is that this new covenant 
is eternal. It will never pass away. It will never end. It is an eternal, permanent covenant that God has made. So, this morning, would you rather live under the old covenant or the new covenant? The new covenant is greater than the old because, it bring, because it's eternal and it brings us greater blessings. So how can we apply this to our lives today? How should we respond because of this new covenant? I want to give us four ways that we can respond this morning. The first way that we can respond because the new covenant is so much greater than the old is by making Jesus the Lord of your life. But what does it mean for Jesus to be your Lord? We don't live in a time where kings rule and lords rule anymore. We don't live in a time where if we rebel against someone in authority over us, we could be in prison or killed by our king just for speaking out against them. So what does it mean for Jesus to be our Lord? It means that we surrender everything to Jesus. It means that we give Jesus complete control of every aspect of our lives, of our finances, we give him control of our marriages, of our parenting styles, of our relationships, of our jobs, of where we live. He gets complete control, all of it. I remember as a kid... I think we were actually going to church one morning and I, and I saw a car with a bumper sticker. It said, Jesus is my co-pilot. And I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. Now, years later, I can stand here and say, if Jesus is your co-pilot, then he is not your Lord. Because Jesus is not someone that we turn to just when we need something or just when we're in trouble or just when we want something. If Jesus is your co-pilot, then Jesus is not in control of your entire life. You see, we only receive these blessings by putting our faith in Jesus and following him. And the Old Covenant clearly teaches us that sin is paid for with the shedding of blood. But the blood of animals cannot save us. The author of Hebrews clearly shows us this in Hebrews 10.4. He says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. Because only perfect blood can take away the sins of the world. Only perfect blood could pay the price for your sins and for my sins. So only the shed blood of Jesus Christ can give us salvation. Because there has never been anyone else who perfectly obeyed and perfectly fulfilled the entire law. Except for Jesus. So salvation only comes to you and I by putting our faith and our trust completely in Jesus. And if you haven't done that today, I urge you this morning to surrender to Jesus. I'd love to talk to you more about that after the service if you have questions. Pastor Jerry or our elders would love to as well. But that's a decision that you can make right now this morning is to surrender to Jesus and follow him. 
The second way that we should respond is by telling others about Jesus. Because of this great news that we know, we shouldn't just keep it for ourselves. We should tell others who he is and how great this new covenant is and how great this salvation is that he offers us. The third way that we should respond is by letting the new covenant impact your relationships with others. One of the six pillars of our church here at Harvest is that we are grace-oriented rather than, rather than legalistic. Why? Why are we grace-oriented rather than legalistic? Because this new covenant is a law of grace. God has shown us great grace. So we should respond by letting this new covenant and the grace that God has shown us impact the way that we interact with other people. It means when you have a disagreement with someone, you show them grace. You don't fight to be right. You show them grace. When someone offends you, you show them grace. When someone is hard to love, you show them grace. We have been shown great grace. And we have done nothing to deserve that grace. So we should respond to how great this new covenant is by letting it impact our relationships. And then finally, we respond by worshiping God because of this great new covenant. This morning, we've worshiped God through song. We've worshiped Him as we've studied the Word. And we're going to respond. We're going to end our time together by responding, by worshiping God through prayer. By praising Him through prayer for this covenant, for the grace that He's shown us. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I want you to turn to just a few people that are, are around you, four or five people that are around you. And respond in prayer, spending time praising God for this awesome new covenant and the grace that he's shown us. Let me pray for us and then you turn to who's around you and continue to pray. Father, we do thank you for this new covenant. We thank you for the truths that we have seen this morning. And we worship you, Jesus. Please teach us to live in light of this new covenant. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.